At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. Good morning. Let's begin our time with prayer. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you are holy. God, we confess that you are holy and we are not. Far too often we care more about ourselves, we care more about our opinion, about our motives and our worldview than we care about anything else. And today, God, we lay that before you and ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would give us a healthy dose of humility today. God, as we turn to your word, we acknowledge that it has everything we need to guide us and lead us on the path of righteousness. You've given that to us. And God, this morning, we desire as a people to submit to the teaching of your word. God, but in order to do that, we need eyes to see clearly the truth that's found in its pages. God, we need ears to hear clearly this truth. And perhaps most important of all, God, we need humble, surrendered hearts before you. That you might do your work in us and ultimately through us. God, we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, today's message does not include a pithy introduction. There's no personal story I'm going to say that's going to kind of draw you in to today's topic. There's no modern research that I've uh, dug up this week to highlight the issue of what we're looking at today. In fact, there's nothing lighthearted that I can say about the issue that Jesus raises in this portion of today's text. Matthew 18, so I'm going to jump right in and get right to the point. You guys with me? All right. Christian relationships pursue repentance and restoration. I'm going to say that one more time. Christian relationships pursue repentance and restoration. That's it. That is the focus of our time together this morning. Now, in case you missed it, I just said it one time, I repeated it another time, and I'm going to say it again in perhaps a bit of a different way. God's people, all who have been redeemed through faith in Christ and his work upon the cross, are to pursue repentance and restoration in our relationships. 
Now, before we go any further, I want to be brutally honest. What I just highlighted for you today is the goal. That is the goal. That is the desire. That is the the aim of Christ-centered community. Repentance and restoration in our relationships, that should be the goal, that should be the desire of all believers. But sometimes it's hard. Actually, let me scratch that. Sometimes that is brutal. It's brutal because it can be so raw and so painful. The sin committed against us is so egregious that we cannot possibly see beyond the pain that we are experiencing. It's brutal. And yet today, Jesus wants to meet with us in the midst of that pain Jesus desires that you and I would be people of repentance and restoration because that is critical for your faith journey and for my faith journey. So I want to encourage you. Grab your Bible. We're going to turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture and we're going to read it together. Matthew chapter 18. We are going to pick it up at verse 15. Matthew 18 beginning at verse 15. If you are reading along in your ESV Bible, it is going to, you're going to be finding that on page 823. Here's what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, go. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Candidly, what we just read is one of the more often referenced portions of Scripture, yet it is also one of the more misunderstood portions in all of Scripture. Well-intentioned believers kind of grab a nugget of truth from this text, and they seek to apply it to all difficult or trying circumstances. We just take a little nugget here, we grab a little piece of it there, and we kind of slide it into whatever it is that we're dealing with. Now, I want to tell you, it is my hope that when you leave here today, you will see and that you will understand the heart of Jesus as he gives this counsel to his friends. It is my hope 
that ultimately you would understand the truth of what Jesus teaches and how it can be used in healthy ways to bring restoration to believers, to restore fellowship that has been broken. That is Jesus' desire. That is my desire for you today as we dig into this text. Now, before we jump back into the text, I want uh, to remind you of what this entire chapter is really about. It begins at the beginning of chapter 18 with Jesus communicating one kind of central theme to get started. It's built upon the theme of personal humility. Listen to the words of Jesus in verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus desires that his followers would begin with a heart posture of humility in all that we do. He begins with that heart posture of humility. So with that as our foundation, let's jump back into our text. And what we're going to find are the first of three steps that we can take to seek reconciliation in those broken relationships. Jesus explains it to us in verse 15. Here's the first step. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This means that if you were a member of the body of Christ, you have repented of your sin, you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have trusted in him for your salvation, you are the one who should go and speak to the person who has wronged you. There's one assumption here, though, that I want to make. I think it's an important one. It may be that the person who sinned against you isn't even aware of the offense. You'd say, well, Pastor, why does that matter? Why does that matter on this issue? Because many times our tendency is to sit back and kind of hang back and just stew about something. Just let it brew up in our, in our soul. I'm just going to sit here and wait. I'm going to wait until you apologize to me. Do you know what's missing in that scenario? Humility. Humility is missing in that scenario. That is why it's so important for us to remember context. You see, Jesus begins the segment of his teaching on how to live and function in the Christian community, and he begins chapter 18 with the focus on humility. That's what he calls his people to practice. That's what he calls you and I to practice in this time of being offended, being wronged, being sinned against. He says, humbly go. Humbly speak to the one who's hurt you. Humbly show them that their words or their actions were a sin against you. Now, I can guess that some of you are already thinking about, wait a minute, pastor, that is so judgmental. There's no way I'm going to do that because the minute I do that, they're going to put up a a hand and say, no. They're going to be defensive. Not if they're walking in humility. 
Not if they are walking in humility as Jesus asks of all of us. You see, as believers, we need others to show us the error of our ways. Because the truth is every single person here today has blind spots. We miss them. We have blind spots. We all have things that we do, things that we say that hurt and offend others. And that is why the first of three steps that believers are to take when someone in the context of the church has wounded us is to go to win them personally. God's people are to pursue with the goal of winning them personally. We see the goal of any communication between two believers whose relationship has been separated by sin is reconciliation. Now, is that easily attainable? Not always. Does it happen quickly? Sometimes. The more egregious the sin, usually the longer it takes to see and experience true reconciliation. Should it happen in a text or an email? Probably not. It's easier that way. Probably not. Does reconciliation need to be pursued? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, humility is what Jesus asks of his people, both when confronting the sinner and when being confronted as the offending party. When someone brings a sin issue to us, God asks us, Jesus exhorts us to have a humble-hearted posture. What happens when that doesn't work? I mean, let's get real for a moment. Sometimes that simply does not work. What do we do then? What happens when this personal approach does not bring reconciliation? Let's go back to the text, verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Jesus warns us that sinners are not always humble. In fact, we can be downright ornery. I'm pretty sure I'm speaking to none of you, though. Nobody here at Woodside White Lake is ornery or stubborn at all. (laughs) So private attempts to seek restoration have gone nowhere. What's next? Jesus says, bring witnesses. Bring witnesses. Well, you'd say, well, why would he do that? Actually, he, he recommends that for a lot of reasons. Allow me to offer a few of those reasons. To avoid misunderstandings. When I'm speaking directly with you, you can hear something that I'm not trying to say. To avoid misunderstandings. We do this to avoid false accusations. 
We do this to avoid any exaggeration, and we do this to help bring clarity and understanding. We bring a friend or two along. Again, Jesus' counsel is not only incredibly wise, it is also incredibly practical because most of us focus on ourselves. We're so focused on ourselves, in fact, that we often miss something incredibly basic, even when confronted by someone in love. It can just go right over our head. No idea what you're talking about. And so what it takes sometimes is multiple voices to break through the fog for you and I to truly see the sin that resides in our life. Any of you like this? Is this resonating with any of you? My guess is not me, Pastor. If I said show of hands, I'm going to guess nobody here today is going to raise their hand on that one. You see, Jesus seeks counsel, or Jesus offers counsel for those who seek it to have godly discipline around the issue of sin in a most private way possible. Do it personally. Then bring one or two friends, not for condemnation, not for shaming, not for embarrassment. Jesus recommends the fewer people involved in the situation, the better. And this gives us the second step. The second step the believers are to take when someone in the church has wounded us, we go to win them communally. God's people are to pursue with the goal of winning the other party in the company of a few. He says, go. You might say, well, why is this needed? It's needed because all of us struggle with a lack of humility. All of us. I think author John Stott summarizes the real problem very well. Here's what he writes. He says, we have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. We exaggerate the faults of others and minimize our own faults. So when a personal approach does not bring repentance and restoration, Jesus tells us to bring some trusted, wise, mature friends along to enter into the situation. And church, this brings us to the third step that Jesus offers for reconciliation within the body of Christ. Let's look at verses 17 through 20 together. If he refuses to listen to them, Now remember, he's tried personally, he's tried with a couple of friends. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, church, before we unpack this final section of today's text, I want to have a a pastoral moment with you, if I can. As we're reading this text, do you see why Jesus begins the chapter with a posture of humility? Do you see it? Because the second and the third step, seeking restoration, could be entirely avoided if when confronted we surrendered it before a holy God and had a genuine posture of humility. Instead of having clenched fists, not laying down our position, we got down and we just said, Father, I surrender. Unfortunately, sometimes things are so egregious and the pride is so strong and so deep that a third step is in fact necessary. And that's why Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Jesus' desire is simple, and it's consistent in step one, in step two, and here in step three. It is always repentance and restoration, repentance and reconciliation. First, personally, that's the, that's the attempt, then privately with a few trusted friends, and finally he says that we should leverage the community of faith, we should leverage the church to bring this kind of repentance. Is it for judgment Is it for heavy-handed religiosity? Is it for shame? No. No. All of this is so a sinner might come to repentance. That they might surrender it before a holy and righteous God. White Lake family, this is the heart of our God. And this is how serious our Lord takes sin. You see, this shows us the depth of Jesus' desire for us to repent of our sin and be restored in a right relationship within his church. And God, this gives us, or guys, this gives us the the third step that believers are to take when someone in our church has wounded us. We go to win them congregationally. God's people are to pursue with the goal of winning the other party congregationally. Now when the church gets involved, it becomes a a picture of the community of believers seeking that which Jesus desires. Again, it's not shame or heavy-handedness. It is a desire that all would come and would repent and be restored. And to be brutally honest with you, the reality of the church getting involved in these matters of sin is not frequent. 
It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And I want you to know it can be heartbreaking. Many tears, lots of sleepless time, wrestling with matters like this. And because it's heartbreaking, I believe that's why Jesus closes out verse 18 with a warning. He says, let him be to you the unrepentant one. Let him be to you as a Gentile or as a tax collector. But what is the significance of those two people? Those two groups of people? (laughs) Different than you might expect. You see, both Gentiles and tax collectors were considered outsiders. They were lost in their sin. And yet, when you look at the whole narrative of Scripture, Jesus loved them and he pursued them. In fact, one Bible scholar says that Jesus loved them into repentance and he loved them into new hope. That's what Jesus did for Gentiles and tax collectors. So let me make this a little bit more personal. Do you know someone who is lost in their sin? Regardless of the love and the grace that you have shown them, they refuse to turn from their sinful ways. They refuse to repent of their sin to Jesus and seek forgiveness. They just refuse. They cling to it. They refuse to humble themselves. They refuse to seek restoration within the body of Christ. If you have experienced this, you know the pain that is involved in this situation. I don't need to give you a flowery illustration or any kind of illustration because you know. It's in the midst of this pain that I hope that Jesus' words bring comfort to you today. Not because it's easy. It isn't. Instead, because every action that Jesus highlights for us at its foundation has the desire, has the goal of repentance and reconciliation. Jesus desires for the sinner to be restored. Then look at verse 18. Jesus gives authority of these restoration matters to the leaders of the church. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. To bind is to prevent entry, while loose is to permit entry into the kingdom. Theologian by the name of Daniel Doriani explains it this way. He says, when a pastor banishes the impenitent or the unrepentant from the church or grants membership to those who do repent, they're redeclaring the gospel. When we bind or loose. White Lake family, to say that Christian relationships pursue repentance and restoration is an understatement. We began with that, and I'm circling back to that here, and it is an absolute understatement. It is the undergirding of all that we've looked at today. So let me close 
with the words of Jesus in verses 19 and 20. And in spite of what many of us have heard before, the context of this passage actually shapes the application. The context matters. So as God's church deals with messy matters of sin, deals with unrepentance, Jesus affirms that they should bathe these things in prayer. As the church wrestles with sin in the body, we should pray. Listen to Jesus' words. Again, I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Clearly, prayer offered for repentance and restoration and reconciliation is near to the heart of our God. That is an encouragement to the first century believers who heard this text. And I hope that it is an encouragement to you today as we all desire to see sinners repent and be restored so that God's church might flourish. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.